0: We just can have the gumption To just make our way to the foot of the cross And for the rest of our lives Hang on to the cross That's the freedom And it's only in Christ
1: Welcome to First Person, a weekly conversation I'm Wayne Shepherd. And we'll be talking in a few minutes with a fellow broadcaster, Charles Morris of Haven Today. First Person is here each week at this time for the purpose of getting to know the stories of people who, through good times and bad, always point us to the faithfulness of God to protect and provide for His people. Through the months that this relatively new program has been on the air, we've heard the life stories of people from all walks of life and learned how God has called them and prepared them for His purposes. So if you'd like to go back into the archive and hear from people like Ravi Zacharias, Tony Dungy, Odessa Settles, and many others, simply go to our website, firstpersoninterview.com, click on the Archive button, and choose from the growing list of interviews. Again, we're found online at firstpersoninterview.com. As an interviewer, I've always enjoyed listening to Charles Morris on the Haven Today broadcast, as he often interviews guests and ties his topics into Scripture. But as I've gotten to know Charles through the years, I've come to realize there is more to his own story that contributes to his skill and heart as a broadcaster. I recently sat down with Charles at a meeting of the National Religious Broadcasters in Nashville. Well, Charles, I'm going to turn the tables on you today. The Uh-oh. interviewer becomes the interviewee, okay, and talk to you about your life. Hey, Wayne,
0: I can't think of anybody better that I would enjoy sitting down with, and we have, of course, many times. Right. But uh, I'm a little uncomfortable being the interviewee, but we'll give we'll give it a try. You'll okay? do fine. Thank You'll you. Do just fine. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, you are the host of Haven today. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. But talk talk to me about the ministry of Haven today. You you Uh, bring a different style to the program. 77
0: years, uh, yes. uh, You know, Haven started back when Christian radio was not even Christian radio, even though it was Christian radio. (laughs) And uh, I don't even know, other than maybe in Chicago, one station and a couple of other places, if there were any Christian stations back in the 30s. Uh, Haven? Today, it was called Haven of Rest originally. I'm the fourth speaker now. Uh, it was started by a, a man who uh, was famous in radio. There was no TV. And if you see his picture, maybe he wouldn't have been famous in TV had there been TV. Um, he had drunk his way through every radio gig uh, on air as well as manager in the number two market in America. And uh, his wife uh, had kicked him out, they had small children. Uh, can't live in alco- have an alcoholic living you know, in our home. And he ended up on the street in San Diego. But he had heard the gospel. Those were the days when just about everybody in America had grown up going to church. But it wasn't his gospel. And uh, he hit the rock bottom. And his wife had been praying for him, even though she couldn't let him live at home. And so he went into a church, uh, and uh, they wouldn't receive him. Now, who knows what he... Looked like sure. after you know a lot of drinking and what he smelled like and what he was wearing, but they wouldn't have anything to do with him. So he went back, and uh, it was the Gideon Bible story. He knew where to find the gospel, so he gave his life to Dramatic the Lord, confessed conversion. his sins, yeah. and what do you do if you're a radio guy? And... and uh, You know, you've been saved. (laughs) So a month later, a program was born, and you were supposed to have, you know, music on the air. So he goes to the Bible college where a few, some decades later, Jim Dobson would graduate from, and he finds himself a quartet, and you needed an organist because those were the the days, you know, of (laughs) of the theater pipe organ. Uh, Very dramatic sounding. And a month later, Haven of Rest was born, and at
1: times it was on well, secular networks, too. It'd be easy to do what you do and forget the history that's behind it. You you like to remember it, don't you?
0: Sure. I I do, even though we live in a day where... So many of our younger listeners, uh, and we do have a few younger listeners, they don't really care about our history. But what struck me uh, years later, when I came 11 years ago uh, now to Haven uh, as the speaker, uh, it it amazed me that any time I was someplace in the Haven of Rest hymn played, anyone who was over 60 started crying. (laughs) And I came out of a secular background, and I didn't understand that. It's kind of like taking the trip to Israel and the tour guide that, that you know, as you're leaving that road from Jericho and the sun is beginning to set, and boom, there's Jerusalem below you, and he puts in Kate Smith singing, you know, the Holy City. It's that kind of a, an experience. That was surprising to me. My predecessor, Wayne, the third speaker, uh, Ray Ortland who died just a couple of years ago, uh, he dropped the rest part because they kept getting phone calls asking if this was a retirement center or a crematorium. <laughs> he said, enough <laughs> is
1: enough of that. So, And you're grateful you didn't have to deal with that part. Of no, that. no. I, I added a word. I didn't take some words okay, away. Right, so that, right. that's, the, that's well, another story. I mean, listeners know, but what is your philosophy? How do you approach the program today? You have interesting, such interesting guests on. Um, well, we have a slogan Uh, which which really
0: is what Haven has been about forever, uh, telling the great story, it's all about Jesus. And as we hear from our listeners, they call or they email or whatever, we keep hearing back. We think the Lord gave us that, told us, this is your message. What we hear from them is, you're that program that's about Jesus. And uh, some days we do interviews. Some days uh, I'll do a message. Uh, But whether I'm talking about Shootings in some far part of the world, or, or uh, tsunamis, or whatever's or going revolutions, on. Yeah. Revolutions. Revolutions. Uh, how does that figure in with the gospel? And I see that as being the main thing that North Americans, and in particular American Christians, have lost sight of. We want to change the world, we want to change things for the better. But we want to do it in light of tell me what to do. Yeah. So you connect the dots, don't you? I have a duty to point people to the gospel, to Jesus Christ. And by the gospel, I don't mean just walking the aisle, saying the sinner's prayer, confessing my sins, and then I go out and live as hard as I can to follow these Mm -hmm. ten rules Mm -hmm. or whatever. The gospel never ends. Every day, grace is new.
1: God has prepared you for this role in some very unique ways. And I, I want to talk to you about that. I, sure. I, I want to talk to you about life before <laughs> uh, Haven today. Oh, I don't know if I can say everything. And, but, the, and, uh, and the various things that you did. And how you, when you look back on that now, you see how that shaped you and, and got you ready for this assignment.
0: Mm, mm. Uh, well, yeah, Wayne, as you know, and you're leading me in with that. Um, yeah, I was a secular journalist uh I really didn't like the Christian media when I was a secular journalist even though I was a follower of Christ uh I wasn't walking with Christ but I was truly a born again Christian uh, I I worked for United Press International which is not so much a company today but it was like Associated Press or Reuters top or of the heap, sure. Jean's Friends Press and uh you know mm-hmm. Our Chicago office was, you know, in 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 the building, the Stone Container Building. You know, Paul Harvey and I would get on together, and he wouldn't always have his rug on, so I'd have to look twice to realize it was Paul Harvey. Um, it's very interesting. Even when I was in the media, uh, the fear factor of Christians, much less Christian media, Christians were not thought of having the answers, uh, and there was a great fear factor. Uh, sure, if you get to New York, it's going to be maybe in the national, international media, you're going to be predominantly certain stereotypes are true. But the fact is that there was always a desire for truth, to share truth. But what people in the secular media didn't realize was that they were following a lie. At the same time, uh, Christians really didn't know how to engage people in the secular media. I was sitting in a in a meeting of the uh, forming USA Today once uh, that Gannett owned at the time. Now USA Today's been out enough years that you know it's just old school at this point. But the the idea of of we need to do something to serve all those Christians out there across America and they just didn't get it, you know. Uh, <laughs> And at the same time, uh, you know, we shoot ourselves in the foot yeah.
1: as Christians. So that's the world that you were a part of. Yeah, and... I didn't want to be identified as a Christian, okay. even though I was. Okay. okay. Yeah,
0: it was it was pretty bleak. When did the turning point come then? I was signed by UPI to run the state of Florida for them. I don't know how many people know this, but... Uh, all the organizations, you know, we like to think Fox News is conservative. I watch only Fox News. CNN is the liberal or whatever. They all get their news from the same place. You know, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. You know, the tragedy of the Internet is even a more liberal news organization like the New York Times is still the only newspaper in America that has 50 bureaus around the world. And so when something happens, you need somebody there that's going to tell the story and bring it back. So I was in Florida and uh, with UPI, had an office in Miami, had an office in Orlando, and uh, we pretty much served we had bureaus in south america but anytime something big happened they would come out of the bureaus that i was in charge of Mm -hmm. whether photographers or sports reporters or just news reporters and um, as i did most saturday nights i got reporiously intoxicated i wasn't an alcoholic but the next day sunday morning i woke up and i certainly had a clear head kind of like the demoniac you know in the gospel that somehow after Jesus healed him, he had a clear head. And Did that uh, puzzle you? It did. It had been a long time since that happened. And uh, I knew I had to go to church. These were the days of the Yellow Pages, Wayne, which, you know, you can identify yeah. with me. Yeah. Yes. I opened the Yellow Pages. I find a Bible-believing church. I go in and, and, uh, and I went to church. And afterwards, there was a visiting pastor, but another local pastor, Uh, introduced ourselves. He said, who are you? What do you do? And, you know, we had that kind of a guy-to-guy conversation. And he said, would you like a cup of coffee? And so we did. And that man brought me back to the Lord. And here, years later, that man still prays for me every day. It's amazing. So anyway, that's that's my
1: story. And we'll go deeper into the personal story of Charles Morris of Haven today, coming up on First Person. On our next program, artist Timothy Boss explains his desire to mentor young artists.
0: One thing we need to understand, especially in the evangelical church, is that we don't have a whole lot of history with the arts, and we can't expect great art to come tomorrow. We need to be patient and learn our craft. Lord willing, we will have another renaissance.
1: No doubt you've seen his work. Now hear from artist Timothy Boss next time on First Person. Charles, I love to have people tell their stories here on First Person, and I don't think that we fully can understand your story until we hear about a very painful chapter in the life of your family. Are you willing to talk about that?
0: Uh, Yes. I always say yes, Wayne, but, you know, I never know how my emotions, sometimes they hold and, you know, sometimes they don't. But sure, we can try if you'd like to. It revolves around your son. One of your mm-hmm. sons.
1: Mm-hmm. Actually, both of your sons, mm-hmm.
0: right? It, it ended up being both. That's right. That's right. And that I've never told anywhere other than just in snippets on our program before. Yeah. Yeah. When did this all play out? Uh, our older son, all his life uh, had problems. Uh, I remember when I was uh, first getting into for lack of any other word, Christian work. Uh, And we were living in Florida. Uh, I was doing a lot of work for a a big name, big church pastor who was on TV. And we never knew why our son always had problems. And uh, I went to a bookstore and I just, I always go to bookstores and I found this book and I'm starting to read it. I'm saying, this is our son. And, you know- Are we talking about the normal- teenage problems yeah, was he a no, teenager no. yeah he was a teenager early teens this was attention deficit s- disorder and uh, he wasn't really hyperactive with it but uh, that gave us some clues we we took him to a famous school to have him uh, evaluated, and they spent two days with him in Philadelphia and, and Bryn Mawr College, had this kind of teacher's college, but one of the, the old Seven Sisters schools, and they said, your, your answer is you either need to board him at one of three boarding schools, which as Christian parents we were not willing to do. Or you need to find a school somewhere where uh, he can have more of a hands on experience. And they didn't recommend homeschool. We'd tried homeschool. We'd, we'd, we've done it all. It was with too much. All huh? our kids, yeah. So we ended up uh, moving to Colorado Springs. We found a school there, the prep school of Colorado Springs, which was supposedly uh, hands on. We enrolled all three of our kids there. But he, after a year, was kicked out because he told the truth. He did marijuana. The other kids lied. None of them got kicked out one of those sad stories mm-hmm. uh, things went to worse I mean you know we we, we tried the uh, the boot camp in the in the Utah desert uh, which we found out later was was run by people we wouldn't agree with. Uh, we did our focus on the family uh, referral uh, to a counselor. We did everything we possibly thought we could, and then, and then we moved to California. I became the speaker of a national radio program and uh, finally got to the point. I went to a couple of Al-Anon meetings, and uh, uh, we had tried different places uh, to put him, and nothing seemed to work. How old is he at this point? Uh, he would have been 20. And, uh, and we kept thinking and always praying the next thing would be the answer. And uh, eventually I couldn't let him live at home. went to a couple of Al-Anon meetings and uh, we both, my wife and I, realized that we were encouraging him, so we couldn't let him live at home. And, uh, but eventually he just totally well, was on the verge of going to jail. And uh, so one Saturday afternoon, we get a phone call, and uh, it's his girlfriend, and she's screaming in the phone, he's dead, he's dead, he's uh-huh. dead. And uh, Janet took the call. She said, no, no, you, you know, he's not dead. He's not dead. Janet, at this point, is screaming back. But Janet says, where are you? And they were sharing a place uh, in San Clemente, a block from the beach, and just not even getting by but other than to support a habit but he died of a drug overdose we got in the car we grabbed our younger son our we have an older child a daughter who's married to a pastor in oregon and and uh, uh we raced down there and by the time we got there the yellow tape was up and you know the orange county sheriff's officers had already sealed it off and he really was dead um uh, interesting uh, when these things happen to you wayne um the six weeks prior to his death, every Saturday night, he'd give me a call, and, uh, and his girlfriend confirmed this later. He'd started reading the, the Bible again, but he'd call me Saturday night, and he'd say, Dad, how are you? And I'd say, Great, how are you, Jeff? And he'd say, Dad, can you pick me up? I want to go to church tomorrow. I want to hear the gospel. Um, we, not every parent can say this. I got another friend in L.A., and his son never professed faith in Christ. He was shot by police in a high-speed drug chase uh, on the streets of L.A. But, uh, yeah, we lost our son about six and a half years ago
1: now. That's got to be just a, uh, an almost unbearable pain. I mean, we have the Lord, of course, and if you don't have the Lord, and what do you have in that kind of situation? But de- well, you, des- you, you, describe the pain for you and your wife. You always hear...
0: This and I do believe it's true because I've talked to a lot of other parents since this happened to us. Um, It's one thing to lose a spouse. It's one thing to lose a parent. It's a whole other thing to lose a child. You you never get to get over it my wife and i never know she'll grieve sometimes i grieve at other times and 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 it also can really pull a marriage apart yeah, too yeah, we've yeah,
1: discovered I realize that realized that um, how did it affect uh, his brother especially
0: uh his younger brother uh was very very angry at his older brother for taking his life or accidentally Mm -hmm. we don't know for sure the coroner never ruled specifically we'll never know that for sure but uh, yeah our younger son was the good little theologian who always had the answers but about a month before our older son died we're in church the communion the cup has passed and our younger son did not take communion and wow You took note of that. For a parent, oh, my wife and I both tried to act like we didn't notice, but we swallowed hard and I teared up, Janet teared up. That was the beginning. He had begun to question his faith. And I remember a few weeks after his older brother died, we were driving somewhere together and he was just so angry. He said, Dad, how in the world could Jeff have gotten into such a state of life that he would just give himself over? And, you know, you start drugs and then you can go to a psychiatrist and you can get psychotropic drugs to counter that. But if you are an addict, you're going to do both together. And that's just, you know, it's double worse. And uh, But about two months later... Our son, Peter, at a neighbor's house in an affluent neighborhood in Orange County, California, he pops his first OxyContin, and that begins his own road. Mm. And uh, finally, I had to tell him, you can't live at home. And finally, he finds, uh, we get a call from somebody in Washington State where he's living, our oldest, our daughter, and her husband, pastoring a church now, tried to take him in. but. We got a call that uh, he was mainlining heroin and was just, uh, so here he was, someone who had all the answers, he knew the Bible inside and out, and now his life was a mess. But you know what? We did an intervention. Our daughter, who's, you know how kids are kids and (laughs) oldest child syndrome and you know, the Kevin Lehman principle at work, you (laughs) know. The birth order. Our daughter says, I'm driving over to that center where he's in detox, and I am not leaving until he meets Jesus. Wow! We threw clothes in a suitcase. We're in Southern California. He's up on the Canadian border in Washington. We throw the dog in the car, <laughs> two suitcases. We're driving. By the time we get to Oregon, our daughter calls us, and uh, she's had him on the phone. She's at this this dryout center, detox center, and and she asks him. She goes in and she says, Peter. This is the older yeah. sibling talking. Peter, you just need Jesus. And, you know, he's crying and, you know, he's, he's in withdrawals, but he's still genuinely crying. Sure. He said, oh, I know that, you know. You need to just pray and ask Jesus to, to forgive you, but more than forgive you, to deliver you. I know. Well, do it. Well, I did it last night, you know. Have you told mom and dad? No. Well, let's get him on the phone right now. Anyway, okay. we picked him up. He went into Teen Challenge. And, uh That's going to be a rough road, but oh, he came out okay. Yeah, you know, it's not the Betty Ford Center, <laughs> <laughs> but it has Jesus there, mm-hmm. and it works. If you stick it out, it works. And now he's about to graduate from Moody Bible Institute. I can't believe it. <laughs> the little theologian in the family uh, w- wanted to give his life to Jesus for the rest of his life. God's given him a wonderful... Uh, Wife, who's our daughter-in-law, and we are so happy. Mm-hmm.
1: Such pain mingled with such joy. Mm-hmm. What's the lesson?
0: Mm. You know, Wayne, the head of another Christian ministry called me the day we buried our son. This head of ministry that very same day had, had to kick, that our son died had to kick his daughter out of the home. Well, he asked me what you asked me. The only answer I know is to stay on your knees and to pray. There is no perfect set of rules to raise the perfect child, but grace trumps everything. Jesus died for sinners. Not just my son Jeff, but me and you. And if we just can have the gumption to just make our way to the foot of the cross And for the rest of our lives, hang on to
1: the cross. That's the freedom. And it's only in Christ. As someone has so aptly said, God never wastes our pain. And as devastating as losing someone close to us is, as Charles and his wife Janet have experienced, it does show us how God can use even the worst the world throws at us to bring glory to himself. Charles and Janet have written a book titled Saving a Life, How We Found Courage When Death Rescued Our Son. You'll find a link to the book at our website and I hope you'll take the time to read it. The website is firstpersoninterview.com. While you're there, take the time to browse the list of interviews that you'll find in the archive at firstpersoninterview.com. And then we keep you posted on upcoming programs on our Facebook page, facebook.com firstpersoninterview. Next week, we'll talk with artist Timothy Bots. Now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We hope to have you here next week for First Person.